0: I'm sure you've heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. And while that's true in theory, in practice, a good cover can make all the difference in putting a book into readers' hands. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week's interview is with the creative director of Orbit Books, Lauren Panapinto. You've probably seen the covers she's designed, including big names like The Witcher and The Expanse. Lauren and I discuss how a book cover gets made, how fonts and color theory all attract a reader's eye, and of course, the origin of the cloaked figure on so many fantasy covers. And on that note, let's jump right into the interview. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, Lauren. It's so great to have you on the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I mean, having me at the Fantasy Inn, kind of remotely. I would love to be in a Fantasy Inn, whatever. That what looks do you mean?
0: Like we're then. we're both at the tavern table <laughs> in our Fantasy Inn, sharing a cup of ale.
1: Yes, we definitely are. I, as <laughs> as a former proprietress of the Orbit Tavern, maybe we're at uh, the Orbi- Orbit Tavern today.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I know. Speaking of tavern, uh, I have admired some of your Instagram series where you make cocktails for books. Um, do you have a favorite? cocktail recipe or anything or like a go-to cocktail?
1: I do. My very favorite cocktail which I also have tattooed on me. Not the cocktail itself, but like kind of the embodiment of the cocktail is called the Last Word and it okay. is a famous cocktail from like 1918. Uh and it was created in Detroit. I know too much about this. I'm like a nerd about fantasy and sci-fi, but I'm also a nerd about cocktails. Um And it is equal parts, which makes it a very easy recipe gin, lime juice, maraschino liqueur, and uh, green chartreuse, which is partially why I like it because it makes it this beautiful green color. And for anyone that hasn't seen me or is not seeing me right now, my hair is close to the color of green chartreuse. So, and uh, be amazing. Yeah, and the drink is one of those drinks that is very fun in the bartender community. I have a lot of friends who are bartenders and, and cocktail nerds. And because it's equal parts, it's very easy to riff on. So there's actually like 30 or 40 variations of the last word. So there's like the final word that uses bourbon and there's, you know, uh, like uh, la Ultima Palabra that, that uses mezcal. And like people have a lot of fun with it. So it's like also like a, a fun me- like meme. Anyway, parallel geekdoms.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I for purely selfish reasons I'm also curious, do you have any like recommended cocktails with coffee? I started roasting my own coffee recently, so I'm trying Ooh. to do anything I can with it.
1: Well, the espresso martini has made a big comeback in pandemic.
0: No okay. one's quite
1: sure why, but all my bartender friends are extremely annoyed at getting orders of like 10 to 15 espresso cocktail uh, espresso martinis at a time Um, but there's some really good like revamped recipes out there but my favorite cocktail using coffee and i think you could either use like cold brew concentrate or maybe just espresso is a revolver and i don't know the exact specs off the top of my head but it is bourbon and cold brew or espresso coffee and orange bitters and i think a little bit of orange liqueur like dry curacao and it's really good so
0: that sounds amazing. I go through a lot of bourbon and cold brew coffee, so there you <laughs> this go. is perfect. Check out a revolver. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so I also, for those of you watching the video, you can also see that gorgeous, gorgeous Last Wish cover in the background, and I believe oh. you recently designed that, so I did. definitely very impressed with that. I love the look, and Thank you. How, how does it feel to be designing books for a series that's like a household name now? I know this has now happened multiple times for you.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny. Uh the Witcher's a little so the Witcher were books first, but nobody really knew them very well or very few people knew them in the US until there was the video games from CD Projekt Red and those were very popular and then we used the cover, the concept art from CD Projekt Red because there was gorgeous concept art for the covers when we released them in the US. So there's always been this this um Slight misconception with a lot of people that the books were adaptations of the game, but the game is actually adaptations of the book. So what's been fun is people now with the Netflix show and everything realizing that there is the game, there are the books, and there is the Netflix show, and they're all kind of wonderful in their own right. But, it, but I mean, Henry Cavill, as the Witcher himself, it has is like the loudest proponent of the geekiness of it and, you know, how he loved the books and the show and the, this game. and So that's very fun. It's also a card game. Um, called okay. Gens, i did not know that part yeah it's yeah. it's embedded in the video game um, but uh, people have okay. also so made okay so i have heard like, of that yes yeah so pe- but people it's also a game that you can play so that's fun too huh. very cool um and it and it is fun uh so the witcher was was a fun collaboration between us and kind of the author and cd project right at the time cuz i was using their art and everything and getting to go back and re-envision it with new artists is really fun. So that book was actually my first, I did a, I did a, a, a somewhat illustrated book. I did, we did a version of, uh, Gil Solace Car- Solis uh, a couple of years ago, but this is the first like multiple artists, bigger, nicer, full color kind of, well, two color kind of edition, like collector's right. edition illustrated book. So it's not just covers anymore. And we're <laughs> doing a lot of art for the inside. So it's like nine different artists working together. So. It was a great project. It was fun. But it, it's always it's always a little stressful to work on a project that has a lot more attention. You know, people mm-hmm. like to ask cover designers, oh, do you love working on, you know, best-selling authors and all, the, all of that? And that can be very exciting, but it's often the books that are debuts or, you know, new authors or kind of under, you know, uh, not as well-known books that, uh, that you really have the most fun on because you have, like, the least oversight and you can be like a little more experimental sometimes. <laughs> but, right. uh, but I love both for different reasons.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, I don't suppose the Orbit office often gets to toss a coin to your Witcher stuck in your head? <laughs> or did that get annoying really fast? <laughs> oh my
1: God. All the time. <laughs> the the uh, editor and I that are, that are working on The Witcher together, you know, um, we're both fans also, which is helpful. I don't think you could work on something that much in so many different formats without liking it but uh, yeah we 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 do joke about dandelion and Vasquez if you're watching the show but dandelion if you know getting dandelion right, right. in the book was a big deal and yes we definitely had that song stuck in our head for a while <laughs> season 2 song is not as much of an earworm so we're a little safer now
0: yeah yeah absolutely i uh, interestingly we were we were talking about this right before we started recording but i've actually only heard season 2 song from tiktok cuz i have not had time to sit down and oh, watch okay. season 2 yet <laughs> That's the yeah, fun so that's part of the making. job,
1: because I was like, I'm sorry, I need to watch this as soon as it comes out because it's work.
0: Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, so I always like to ask people this towards the start of these talks is just can you remember what first made you fall in love with science fiction and fantasy?
1: Um I I mean, I can remember my earliest memory. I this obviously dates me, but my my earliest memory is of science fiction and fantasy because my the very like, you know, you can't remember your first couple of years, but my, my first memory is going to see Return of the Jedi in the theater with my dad. Very cool. And it has been discussed amongst friends that my dedication to the black and green kind of aesthetic, because all my clothes <laughs> are black and my hair is green and I love green cocktails and everything, is very like Luke Jedi style.
0: Okay. Okay. Who, you know, no spoilers,
1: it. but it's been making a, a a reappearance in recent uh Star Wars things. So it's been very exciting for me. But that is my that is my favorite. Like the the skiff scene from Jabba the Hutt's palace and Luke being in it, like a badass is was kind of like my earliest like geek memory and I was just like, you know, screwed from then on, you know, like there was <laughs> there is no not sci-fi fantasy memory for me. Um I was an only child and I think, you know, bless my dad, but he didn't know what to do with a girl. So he just kind of, he was like, all right, well, we're going to baseball card conventions and we're going to comic book shows and we're going to see star Wars and that's fine. (laughs) So, you know, and in high school, I, uh, I happened to work, I happened to go to a high school. I grew up on Staten Island in New York and um, I went to high school down the block from a comic book store and I spent so much time there You know, either, and the owner was great. He would let me like lean on the end of the counter and copy, you know, comic book art, you know, into my sketchbooks and stuff and in my school notebooks. And after a while, he called my mom and he was like, Can we give her a job? She's always (laughs) here. Can we just pay her? And my mom resisted for a little while because I was, you know, a freshman or sophomore in high school and wanted me to focus on school. And finally, I think by the end of sophomore year, beginning of junior year, the owner, um, Jim Hanley of Jim Hanley's universe, which still exists in New York, bless his heart, like called my mom's like, look, she's here all the time. Anyway, I'm just going to start paying her (laughs) feel guilty. She knows everything in the store better than the guys that work here. So we're just going to hire her. And then I, I worked there for a while and kept that job through college, uh, went to school visual arts in Manhattan and, uh, started working in books as soon as I graduated a little before I graduated. And, uh, I was working at um, St. Martin's Press and then Doubleday Books, and Orbit came over from the UK because they've been in the UK a lot longer. And the publisher of Orbit UK, Tim Holman, Hachette UK, Hachette Books UK is the parent company, Hachette US was like, we don't have a sci-fi fantasy publishing wing. You know, why don't you come over and start it? in, in the U S and instead of just starting up a parallel office and, you know, we, we actually existed as a a co-company. So Orbit kind of, there are two different publishers now, but we still exist as kind of one company and, and my editors are, you know, in the U S but we also, I talk directly to the editors in the UK and we co-publish a lot of things together. So we have this like U S UK company. And, uh, he started, you know, talking to the book, designers that were at little brown that were the was one of the other houses at hachette and um you know they were helping with the covers but they really needed somebody that like got geek stuff like when you're you know in the finer weeds of you know it's not like a dune you know sandworm it's like a you know a star wars you know sarlacc you know that kind of visual referencing um you really have to be a geek to get it. So a friend of mine who was helping Orbit with their covers uh, was like, well, I know this, you know, you need someone that's dedicated to geek stuff. I know this uh, this friend of mine who's an art director. She has Elvish tattooed on her arm, and she's an art director in book publishing. There's like one of those. <laughs> so I'll, I'll connect you guys. And that's how I ended up at Orbit, and I've been there 13 years now.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And as anyone can tell from, uh, if they can see the covers behind me, I am obviously a fan of Orbit as well because I have a lot of Orbit books. And this I is know, just my downstairs bookshelf.
1: I did, <laughs> I did accuse you of potentially like stacking the the row so that it was it was it felt more Orbit impressive. But he swears it's not true, everyone.
0: It's like, oh yeah, you should see the thousands <laughs> of books. I swap out the entire case for anyone who comes on here. <laughs>
1: totally. And this is my work corner. So I have like, you know, like the, the orbit. I put up a little book rail now that we're all in work from home. So I can change it. I can swap it out every so often. Right.
0: Yeah, this this is my uh, quote unquote studio, which is actually just a bookshelf in my basement that is unfinished. <laughs> and uh,
1: hey, I just works. have a
0: nice looking corner.
1: Yeah. As long as it looks nice in this little frame, you're good.
0: That's all you need. Yep. That's all you need. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so one thing that I'm curious about, and I'm sure some of our audience is curious about as well is what exactly is the difference between an art director and a creative director? And I realize there's probably a good bit of overlap and blurred lines there.
1: There, there absolutely is. So, um, if you think about it at, as, as books, as like seasons, which is how publishing in the U.S. at least thinks about it. In the U.K., they, they think of it more monthly. But in the U.S., we're still doing seasons, which can be three months, four months, you know, arbitrary house to house. Every book gets an art director. So an art director works with the editor and the publisher and, you know, the author to figure out what the right look for a, a book cover should be, depending on, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, uh, target audience, what the trends are, what else, what the comp titles are, that kind of stuff. Um, a creative director will also act as an art director on certain books, but we make sure that all of the art director's... Kind of get the right books, you know, help align like who gets what, who's suited for what, kind of manages the art department, but really, my job above and beyond everything is is to make sure that not only are our our covers you know nice pieces of design and an effective balance of what the author wants, what the publisher likes, and what the fans want, but also that they all look like orbit books, um, sure. which you know means something different, although there is a great deal of overlap. You know, an Orbit cover should look a little different from a tour cover, should look a little different from a Delray cover, should look a little different from, uh, you know, a mainstream cover or, a sci- you know, depending on, you know, what kind of book it is, you know, whether it's up against a Little Brown book or a Doubleday book or something like that. So I've got a, it's kind of like a branding responsibility too. It's not just enough to have a great looking cover. They have to look and feel like Orbit books.
0: Yeah, it does. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. And I'm sure you love these kinds of questions, because they're so easy (laughs) to answer, right? Uh, So how do you get to that element, right? Like, how do you, if you don't have a perfect idea in mind of this is what the orbit look needs to be? How do you know Mm -hmm. when you've reached that orbit look?
1: Well, I think it's more philosophical than anything else. And it has to come from like the same philosophy that the publishing does. And I think uh, orbit has always... And, and again, I want to be careful to not speak for my publisher and the editors here, but especially from an art point of view, Orbit is, has kind of always had one foot in, you know, hardcore genre, sci-fi fantasy fans, and another foot in mainstream readers who maybe didn't know they were sci-fi fantasy fans yet, but we kind of play back and forth. And that's kind of the delicate balance that Orbit covers, kind of, uh, and Orbit books tend to straddle. Um, You know, I think you can look at Del Rey maybe as another step over towards like literary and mainstream and Tor maybe another step towards more hardcore genre fans. But again, book to book, that changes. It's more about just, you know, in general. But also the aesthetic of Orbit tends to be a little more design forward, a little more graphic. Uh, we use a lot of illustrators, but um, you know, it is it is a philosophical thing. But also, it comes out in the covers. In that, I'm the creative director, so there are going to be. Although I don't pick what covers just to my taste like what i want i think that's every what everybody assumes is like you know the creator you know the creative director just gets to put whatever she wants on the covers but it's because
0: <laughs> i'm sure the market responds perfectly to that
1: <laughs> well it's it's hard and uh you know being in in kind of in the industry yourself but podcasting you know, and, and, you know, that's part of the industry. It is though, or, you know, whether you want to call it a super fan or whatnot, you have to realize that you're in a bubble and what Mm -hmm. you as a professional or someone who spends a good deal of their life, uh, thinking about and talking about and working on, uh, sci-fi fantasy things and book covers in general, your taste is not necessarily applicable to, Even normal sci-fi fantasy, self-identifying sci-fi fantasy fans, but also certainly not mainstream folks that don't identify as sci-fi fantasy fans, but will read sci-fi fantasy books, especially if you get into the realm of like speculative fiction and things with fantasy elements. I mean, in the 13 years I've been at Orbit Books, our culture has gone... It already was starting, you know, with things like the Star Wars prequels being so much more mainstream, the Matrix, things like that. But in the whole, you know, if you call it like the Marvel, the MCU era, you know, and, and Game of Thrones and everything, sci-fi fantasy is mainstream now, period. Like there's no saying that it's not, you know, and, and more so every year, but you're still kind of playing that game between like, how much sci-fi, how much mainstream, that's a lot that we talk about in, in you know, about books in general, you know, is this for a mainstream audience? Is this for a hardcore genre audience? Like who is the target audience? So everything has to come from that. Um, and it's not just, you know, what Lauren likes, you know, or even <laughs> what Lauren and the publisher likes or what Lauren, the editor and the publisher, like or Lauren, the editor, the publisher and the author, like it's, it's also what's going to connect with that fan base. And sometimes I am the target audience, for a book I'm designing, and that's very helpful. Or, and and that's a lot of how we decide like who works on what books. My associate art director uh, Lisa Pompilio knows like everything there is to know about witches, and she designs most of the witch books, and ha- has such a nuance of understanding like a fine, fine, fine nuance of like, okay, fans of this also like this, and fans of that also like that, and this will relate to this fan, you know. So she's so good at that and loves it. So until the point that she gets burnt out on witch books, we'll keep giving her the witch books. Um, and then I take on other things that are, you know, I, I tend to take on more of the bigger space opera books, things like that. I work with a lot of concept artists, and and those are a lot of my connections in the field. So those tend to be the folks that do like the big expansive, literally the expansive. The Expanse. Um, yeah, literally The Expanse. Um, you know, I'm working with Mark Simonetti now on on a book and a cover that's just this like huge, epic civilization in space, you know? Oh, God, I can't um, so wait. I, I love all his of his <laughs> work. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And, and I haven't gotten to work with him enough. That's really the hard part of the job is is um, narrowing down like who you get to work with. Because there are, there are artists I absolutely adore, but I haven't been able to work with them yet because... You know, the right thing hasn't come up to match. So you're always you're always a very delicate balance between what the target audience wants, what the author, the editor, and the publisher want, what I want, you know, it, it's you know, what the fans want, but they call it the vocal minority. So the folks that are always on Twitter or whatever talking about this stuff, you know, might get sick of stuff that is 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 a trend or a trope. Much quicker than the mainstream audience does. This happened a lot. I was talking with Brian McClellan recently on his podcast and we were talking about like the cloaked guy kind of phenomenon and why that came about. And, you know, and yeah, like, you know, people in the industry, there are things sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, here's another. How do we make a big sword on a cover fresh and new again? And and you okay, might think so, like, sorry to
0: stop you mid-train of thought, but yeah. you got me really, really curious before we move on. How did the cloaked guy on the cover oh. come about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Scoop Brian's podcast. No, I mean, you've got to remember the cloaked guy isn't about a cloak. And for okay. those in the audience that don't know what we're talking about, there's certainly if you look at adult sci-fi fantasy books and they tend to be the more bigger, epicer, you know, ones, um, there's often a guy in a hooded cloak on covers, and he pops up all the time. It's not the same guy, but it looks like it could be. <laughs> um, who is the cloaked man? Um, it's the sci-fi fantasy version of the Running Man, who's like on all the James Patterson covers, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and and it's the same thing. It's not about the cloak it's about an obscured identity that someone can insert themselves into very easily without friction. Um, okay. And when you see a character's face, this is what happens a lot uh, with like when people argue over like the movie casting, you know um, people like have a favorite book and then it gets cast in a movie and they're like, that person can't be that character, you know, cause you have this picture in your head of what it should be. Um, when you're reading a story there is a, a comfort level that you yourself are at inserting yourself into somebody else's story. We all do that as fiction readers, too, you know, yeah. even nonfiction readers. We all do that as readers. But how flexible you are with identifying with the character, usually the main character, varies person to person. And I'm, I'm very careful when I, I talk about these things because people have a lot of very strong feelings because we go back to childhood and those books we loved and all that stuff. You don't see the cloaked man or the, the obscured identity, because it's not always cloaks. Again, like it's a shadowed face. It's a guy from the back. It's a guy in the distance. It's a silhouetted character. You see more of that in adult books rather than YA or teen or kid books, sci-fi fantasy, because adults have a harder time. They're, they're more set in their identity. So they have a harder time inserting themselves into other identities. And not to make this a gender thing, but women who are sci-fi fantasy fans, and speaking as a woman who is a sci-fi fantasy fan and came up through a sci-fi fantasy fandom community that had less women in it than it does today, I got used to inserting myself into characters other than myself. I didn't identify with Princess Leia. I identified with Luke, you know, for many reasons. And, you know, this isn't a therapy podcast, so we won't go there. But, um, <laughs> you know, the co- what the cooked man does is it allows almost everyone to insert themselves into a character with the least amount of friction and that's why it was so popular and when the the adult audience has a harder time doing that i think sometimes guys have a, a harder time doing that cuz they haven't had to in fandom you know you see things like the Superhero movies finally there are women superhero fronted movies and you know I hear from a lot of the guys and and not mean-spirited we're gonna leave trolls aside that's not what we're talking about sure not mean-spirited at all but very mo- well-meaning male fans are like oh I, I didn't really get it I didn't like this dialogue I didn't like this thing and at the same time you're seeing women saying, oh my god I identified with that so strongly and As a woman, it's really nice to see like the scene around the table in the Black Widow movie and the banter and it being so sisterly and like mother-daughterly and like really resonating with me and like sitting next to my boyfriend who it didn't really resonate with, you know, and that, you you know, that's nice to see now, but it's not, it's something that we're more used to. um, And I think people of different racial identities and different gender expressions and different sexualities are not, or have had to been more flexible inserting themselves into characters that they wanted to emulate, be, emulate, identify with. And, and the less you've been forced to do that in your life, the more friction it feels like later. So I think that's why that, that trend became so big because it just, it made it easier to to insert yourself into the hero character. We still do that. We're just not using cloaks as much because we got so burned out on cloaks. There's like literally not a cloaked man in any stock art agency anywhere in the world that has not been on a sci-fi fantasy cover. So, but we still do it. You know, you still cut off people at the nose. You still have people from the back. You still have people shadowed. You still obscure people's body type and gender and things like that to appeal to the widest possible audience and not kind of bounce people away from it.
0: Sure. This This is incredibly fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's the best example. I think, and again, like I'm not a trained psychiatrist or anything like that, but, you know, I do do a lot of reading and advertising and, and what speaks to people subconsciously. And that's not just about images that fonts do that too. You know, if you see a serif font, you automatically think a certain thing. There are fonts that scream fantasy and we use them over and over and over again because, you know, if, the, if we need a book to feel more fantasy, we use that font because it, it feels more fantasy. And I don't think most fans are looking at, the, looking at a book cover and saying, oh, that font is making me feel fantasy. They just look at the book cover and immediately know that it's fantasy. And that's the, that's the magic of fonts. And that's the magic of all of these things that we're talking about, obscuring identities. It's all about removing as many obstacles as possible between someone seeing a book and knowing it's for them, you know, or being interested in it or being intrigued by it. So that's kind of my job really? Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah, and I do that with, like, fonts and artists and, and colors and all that kind of stuff. So, that's... I don't remember how we got on this topic. This is a very... I don't you said either. To that's make great. Tangents are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, tangent. Tangent on the cloaked guy. Um,
0: yeah, and uh, so... I will say though, and this is maybe going back to what you were saying about being sort of in the industry bubble or whatever. Uh, I've had hours long conversations with people at the Fantasy Inn about the Swoopy R that was making the rounds and covers for a while. Oh, I don't I'm know very if that's...
1: guilty of the Swoopy R. I don't <laughs> know if I was the first Swoopy R. It okay. is one font named Jupiter.
0: Jupiter, okay. Has, this is has great to know. R,
1: and um, I. I think it's behind you is like Bone Shard Shard Daughter. I'm pretty sure the Swoopy R is on that other side. I'm pretty sure the Swoopy R is on that. Bone Shard Daughter is either Trajan, Red Spine.
0: Red Spine, Uh, here we go. Yeah. Ah, This is the benefit of having some video. Is it? Well, this is actually very, very clean, non-embellished font.
1: Okay, it doesn't have the Swoopy R, but that font could have a Swoopy R very easily. We just didn't swoop that R. There's so much ornamentation on that cover, but yeah, is is that the official terminology
0: for it? Is it is it called the swoopy R behind the scenes at Orbit, or is there something else? I mean,
1: it's a curved descender, but not even graphic designers say that.
0: I mean that—that that sounds like a fantasy novel right there, <laughs>
1: or like an extended descender. I guess it's a swoopy R. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: there you
1: go. <laughs> but it's one—it's one font called Jupiter, and it, there's a very funny YouTube video called uh, Trajan is the movie font, and Trajan is a font that looks very Roman, um, okay. chiseled serif font, and it's on like every movie poster, or was for a really <laughs> long time. And somebody like put a YouTube montage together of all of the movie posters that use Trajan and like sci-fi fantasy fantasy covers, not sci-fi, but fantasy covers very guilty of using jupiter for a while
0: yeah <laughs> so potentially if you were the first person we can thank you for that trend.
1: i don't know if i was i know that i was very excited when i saw that font and its sister font orpheus <laughs> um and i only feel good saying these names out loud because i've moved on to other fonts because i've used those fonts too much so now i've moved on to other fonts and then there you okay. go Ten thousand self published fantasy books. can now use Jupiter and Orpheus behind me.
0: <laughs> yep. There you go. So you heard it here. Lauren Pan and Pinto, The Curved Descender. <laughs> <laughs> God,
1: that sounds like a middle grade fantasy book.
0: <laughs> yep. It absolutely does. Um, I mean I guess on that note, I am curious because I know you said before, you know, at this point in your career you can walk through a bookstore. Well, whenever you can walk through a bookstore these oh, God, days, I right? Know. It's been uh, a while. But if you could walk through a bookstore, you can look at the shelves and probably, I don't know, one in five, one in four it feels of those too books, much, it feels you've too had much like, like your fingers in those books. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. So,
0: I mean, like what, if other people are walking through this store, like maybe other art directors, if they saw your books, like would they immediately think, oh, that's a Lauren book right there? Oh and yeah, if we, so, we all
1: do it. We all do it to each other. I can walk through Barnes & Noble and be like, oh, that's Michael Windsor, and that's Emily Mahan, and that's, you know, Lisa Pompilio, and that's, you know, Irene Gallo, and that's Christine Foltzer." Like, we can, see a, we can see it a mile away. I almost always know who designed that book.
0: That's, that's amazing to me. Because, I mean, I do sort of get to feel like I can look, and i like, if I had to guess, that's probably an Orbit book.
1: If it's Four red, times black, out of five, I'm probably correct. If it's red, black, and white, it's probably an Orbit book we do lean on the logo covers very colors very hard you know
0: yeah and uh, so there was also a debate very very joking entirely non-serious debate a while mm-hmm. back i want to say it was a few years ago time is very janky at the moment it's for okay. me it's right. uh where we're like okay well obviously was last year <laughs> this year maybe it was 2018 2019 we're like okay well this year is obviously the year of red Ink at orbit Next year is obviously the year of blue ink. What's going to be next? Because it felt like there was a bunch of books that all came out with the same color.
1: (laughs) Well, look, there's a formula. That's not just orbit. In series, and not just sci-fi fantasy, I mean the first book is generally red. If it's not red, it's blue. Okay. So the first book is red. If the first book for some reason wasn't red, it was blue. And then the second book is either red or blue, whatever the first book wasn't. And then book three, you could go gold. You could go purple, you could go green, and then you just kind of keep filling out. After you get to five, after you get through red, blue, gold, like gold, yellow, gold, orange, um, purple, green, then things start to get squirrely. Like, can you go pink? Is it a series that can go pink? Because pink can be very, you know... If it's space opera, I mean, the first Leviathan, the first expanse book, Leviathan Wakes, we did a shocking magenta on and that was very new for the time. Some, some series can go pink. Some can't, Um, you know, pastels can be a little weird. Then you go like, did we do a dark blue? Can we do a light blue? Can we do like a lime green? You know, things get a little, or you could just repeat. You go back to it.
0: All right. I mean, is that the kind of thing that just ends up happening? Or is it like, okay, this is a book one. We're obviously doing red this time.
1: It happens because of human psychology. Okay. So people respond to red as a color. Red is exciting. Red is also the easiest color, it's the most legible color other than black and white. So black and white are the highest contrast, but red has the the next highest contrast.
0: I mean, going back to for anyone who can see the video this bone shard daughter, first book in the series, red black white. <laughs>
1: Second book, blue.
0: <laughs> yep, there you go.
1: <laughs> Actually, j- okay, so here's a good example. So behind you are the the um Sendling's ascent. Um Sendling ascent. Uh it's red blue. I think the third one was purple and then the next one was gold but jade city we definitely went jade color we went green the first book so you know if there's a reason to to have a certain color on the first book then obviously
0: and i mean with bone shard or not bone shard what is that uh green bone saga uh with jade city you then went red and blue so (laughs) the trend continues
1: it's about thumbnails online a lot too. Yeah. It's like what catches the eye because because a book cover is not just a beautiful piece of art, which we always try to make it to be. It's also a piece of advertising and it has to compete and like grab people's eye away from the other hundred book covers on a shelf or the other 20 book covers in that weird little, you know, also available books are also bought by kind of line online that Amazon and Barnes & Noble has. So we're always fighting for people's eyes and there are only so many ways you can catch someone's eye. It's strong silhouettes, it's bright colors, it's high contrast. Uh, you know, I don't like just relying on big type. That's the cheater's way to do it. Sometimes yeah, we do. Good, yeah. but, <laughs> um, but I like doing it with the art, if, if at all possible. You know, visual hierarchy is, is a big thing. And that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. So visual hierarchy is, is what's the focal point? But not just that, what's the second point your eye goes to, the third point your eye goes to, and how your eye moves around an image is another thing that subconsciously gives you emotion. So in the, the first Expanse book, the focal point kind of like swooped up, like the art swoops up, and that is very exciting. If you spiral in, a lot of thriller books do that, a lot of horror books do that. Um, if you spiral, it's kind of like anxiety causing. So, so all of these things, it's like a book cover is working on you subconsciously. It's like a, it's like a iceberg, you know, the little bit you see and register is, is just a little bit that's sticking up out of your subconscious into your conscious that your subconscious is the fonts are working on it. The character, if there's a character on it is working on it. The colors, like all of these things are giving you information to make a split second decision as to whether your eye is going to stop on that thing or keep moving.
0: But of course, don't judge a book by its cover, right? I'm sure that's your favorite oh phrase God. that was ever invented. <laughs>
1: Every book designer. Of course you should judge a book by its cover. That is literally why I have a job.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Although it's what? Like, don't judge it by the cover. Judge it by the focal point, by the primary colors, yes, by yes. the contrast, by the font, totally. the swoopy yeah. R, the curved the descender. Swoopy
1: R. I, I'm curious. Who was having the conversation about the swoopy R?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Hugh Gregg from the Fantasy N. I'm not sure oh, okay. if you're familiar with okay. those, but yeah, he has very strong feelings about this Swoopy R. So. Oh, wow. He should, <laughs> he
1: should look me up. I feel like, you know, I am at least partially responsible. Yeah, if I wasn't uh, first, I definitely cemented it.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, he is probably a little scared to look you up, given that he's made a lot of spoofs of Orbit covers before. <laughs> oh, has he? <gasps> I yes.
1: want to see uh, them. Oh I don't know
0: if you okay. saw the Jade Fuck cover going around for Fondalee's, uh Green Bones Saga series. Speaking of, oh my god, uh, but no! Yeah. He did the pink Jade <laughs> <is> Fuck cover.
1: <laughs> he should he should be tagging me if he's going to redesign orbit covers. Yeah. I have a good sense of humor. I will think it's hysterical, especially if the author likes it. I will think it's hysterical. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if it's all done in good fun, obviously. I mean, I've spoofed a few Orbit covers myself. Um, you have really? the okay. You have the, um, the C.L. Clark book behind you. Yes. And my brain is saying Terrain's Arms now, but that's not what it's called. It's called The Unbroken. <laughs> but <Yes. laughs> um, there are all these jokes about Terrain's Arms. And, and uh, the author was joking that book two like made a f- fake kind of Twitter announcement that book two was called Terrain's Legs. So I mocked it up. <laughs> I <laughs> put them side by side, but I use the same piece of art, you
0: know, Amazing. so I, I love spoof that.
1: myself, you know, it's, it's fun. The community, it's fun to play with the community, but again, that's the danger of doing that too much is you forget that that's 10% of the community and 90% of the community is, is not that, you know, that, uh, aware or conscious or, or anything like that. So you, you can't just, you can't, um, design just for the, the in group. You know, or like the, the in-joke folks, you know, because, you know, comedians can't only do in-jokes or, you know, they wouldn't have a big enough following. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to balance, you know.
0: Absolutely. And I, I am curious, so speaking of balance, how do you balance, I mean, you've, you've touched a little bit on this, but how do you balance, like, I'm sure you need to find the target audience and appeal to them. You need to try to, like, what's going to move copies of the book, right, is obviously very important, but... Also artistic quality, your vision, like what the author wants. How do Mm -hmm. you balance all of that?
1: I don't know. How do I?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure if there was like a very clear answer for this, then like you'd be out of a job. But
1: Oh, well, it's different every book. You you have to reinvent the wheel every book. Um, I'm I'm hyper collaborative. Uh, You can't really be territorial about... your design or anything like that, you have to be really into the final product being a team kind of achievement. And I feel I, you know, and I, I think like, I am a very big cheerleader for designers that work for me and especially freelance illustrators or designers that work with me. Like I want them to be the star, like the more people are excited about their work, the better it it looks for me. Like, I don't care. Like art directors aren't credited on books. Um, Strangely, you know, as an industry, every once in a while, we're like, why is that? And then we're like, yeah, like, they should be.
0: I, I have seen a few books come out where they have like a credits page at the back or something, where it's like, like here's yeah, it the editor, the, the, the art director, the everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, they should be on the copyrights page. I, honestly, like co- managing editorial will put whatever credit we ask them to. I think it's just a case of so many art directors having been in the industry. So long that we were like, yeah, we never did. Why It'd be weird to start now, you know? Um, yeah. But we care, you know. I make sure the cover artist is is credited. I make sure the map artist is credited if there's a map. Like, you know, I care about all their credits, and I'm like, eh, I have a job. Don't worry about me. It's okay. um, <laughs> but um, you have to really enjoy being kind of like a, a UN translator because you're talking, you're you're constantly translating between word people and picture people, and you're kind of in the middle, you know and people who speak in visual language and speak, people speak in word crafting and making sure that they're kind of understood back and forth. My authors are really, really, really important to me, especially in sci-fi fantasy. You have no other, like you can't look things up in the encyclopedia. World building only exists in that author's head. So, you know, I can go to the editor, obviously they've read, you know, the manuscript and talk to the author, but the, but the real the only true kind of uh, resource for what's in that book is, I mean, obviously the book, but the author. So I, I, I care very much about getting their input. And I try to, I feel, get it as early as possible. The, all of our editors talk to the authors in advance, you know, before I even know about the book, they're talking to the author, you know, whatever notes they have. And it really differs author to author. And that's the difference too. Like some authors will roll up with their book completely celebrity cast it with ten Pinterest pages, you know, tons and tons of detail. And some really don't. And and that's not their joy or their skill. And they're they're kind of happy to let us play without too much oversight. And and both are good. Sometimes it's dangerous to have too much freedom and sometimes it's it can be a little limiting to work with an author that has too set of an idea. But but I work with all kinds. And um you know I think of the editor as the author's coach through the process. And, you know, the publisher always has to keep his eye on what will serve the book the most and sales the most and things like that, which is good because, you know, that's important. And, you know, my designers and myself, we have to stand up for what's a good piece of design and what we're proud to put on covers. Um, and, and I think we're all keeping the target audience in mind. Um, so so it is, like, it is, you know, it's like a, a team that's all trying to get the football to the end zone. I'm not a big sports ball person, but, um, you know, we're all trying to win. Like nobody's working against each other. We just have different ideas about whether we should run the ball or pass the ball or kick the ball, but hopefully we get in the end zone regardless, you know, and everybody's happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. I love that. I love that analogy. Um, okay. So. This is a question that (laughs) I ask mostly because it's selfish for me and I'm always curious. And I realize we're going to have to talk in generalities. But I'd love to hear what are some of the upcoming covers you're excited about? Sure, you can't talk about them, but is it something that (laughs) you're exploring something crazy with color? Are you exploring another? Are you bringing back the cloaked figure? Like, what is it that's getting you excited about the art you're working on right now?
1: Well, I think you can't work, I mean, joking about the cloaked figure. Um, I think if you understand why things become tropes, it becomes mm-hmm. a lot more interesting to work with them because then you can challenge them and you understand what's working and what's not what's you can change and what's not like like we said with the cloak figure if you realize that it's about identity not about the cloak you can find all kinds of new ways to do that not that look not that every character has to be obscured i'm just saying that's why that trend happened we have a lot of characters that are front and center you know
0: if every character was obscured we wouldn't have that gorgeous art from tommy arnold of terrain's arms
1: so <laughs> <laughs> True. That is one of the least obscured uh, covers. I mean, if I knew Terrain's arms were going to be such a thing, I would have had Tommy like really sculpt them more. I've yeah. seen some fan art where <laughs> Terrain's biceps are really power lifter, impressive. And I'm like, we went too thin. We went, you know, I went, we went with it. We had um, some, some wonderful uh, reference from, the author clearly, you know, and went very much with that, but I would have, I would have pushed it a bit if I knew the fan base was going to attach itself. To, <laughs> I mean, to, when, to
0: when I had Sheree on the podcast, we did spend quite a bit of time talking about Terrain's arms. So <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I know it's fun. It's fun when that stuff happens. And I love that interaction with the fans, you know, um, that that book became part of the quote unquote sapphic trifecta and people are like memeing the Pope holding up their covers and like <laughs> yes. jazz throwing that one. And like, you realize as a book designer, I would, I was guilty of making the Jasmine Throne Saffron and Sheree's cover Saffron. And then She Who Became the Sun just happened to be Saffron. And then you're like, the Saffron sapphic trifecta, which nobody can say three times fast. Um, It's just a happy accident, but the fans get very into it. Um, I see it happen, and it's fun when it's not, you know, your books. Um, I see the same thing happening with, like, the locked tomb trilogy uh with uh getting the ninth and harrow and and the new cover known of the ninth just dropped and tommy and i were joking about we were talking about the witcher covers that he's working on we were joking he was saying like the fans are really like lining up these covers and thinking that i put all these like like the 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 finger of one of the skeletons is pointing across two covers, the original Gideon cover. He's like, I'm glad they're giving me that much credit, but <laughs> <you
0: know? laughs> so
1: that the fan excitement is always very exciting. Um, things I'm excited about coming up. Well, I did mention that I'm working on a cover with Mark Simonetti. Um, yes. Who has such a cinematic uh, camera angle. And that's, that's why I love working with, with a lot of the concept art folks. Uh, they have, such an inherent, um, instinct for dynamic camera angles and they make the covers feel so cinematic, which is why initially I, you know, I worked with Daniel Dachiu on the Expanse covers, but I also love working with Richard Anderson and, um, uh, Mark and, uh, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of folks, uh, in the concept art world. Um, and then, uh, so I don't know if that ti- I don't know if that book has been announced. It must be. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to say back. That's fine. No, everyone, will
0: see see title, everyone, will everyone will see the Mark Simonetti cover and they'll it. Know, it we it know it was this we were talking about. They'll know
1: it was this we were talking about. Tommy's working on... It's a, like, Tommy Arnold is working on another Witcher cover for us to okay. go along with The Last Wish Illustrated. And I can't say any more about that. <laughs> but it's gonna be great. Um, very excited about that. I I get really excited about working with newer artists, younger artists who are kind of like breaking through. Um another cover I have back here is uh, Richard Swann's Justice of Kings that yes. either just came out or is about to come out. And uh Martina Fashova uh did that cover and I met her at a art seminar, illustration masterclass a couple years ago, and I was like This girl is amazing. And in like another year, I'm going to snap her up. And she did a Yennefer for me on the inside of The Witcher Illustrated. And it came in and it was so great that immediately, like in a meeting, the editor of Richard Swan's book was like, can we use her? I was like, Yes, we can. <laughs> so there's a lot of that going. So I feel like a talent scout too a lot of the time because I like to keep an eye on the entire kind of fantasy art field and people outside the fantasy art field. I love giving working with folks in editorial, illustration or other realms of illustration that haven't necessarily done a book cover yet. Um I tend to work with folks that are at least fans of the stuff because again, you 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 need to not be completely lost in the conversations when we're getting down into the nitty-gritty detail if you're like you know, planetary orbits. I don't care. You know, it's going to be a little (laughs) difficult, but, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be people that have done 10 other book covers before. You know, I work with a lot of folks from video games and movies and, um, editorial illustration and things like that. So I'm always kind of, you know, like we said, there are things that come up in, in sci-fi fantasy that for very important reasons come up a lot. Big swords, guys with cloaks, you know, uh, these adventure kind of things, uh, you know, spaceships, you know, these things are going to keep coming up all the time. So um, through the art, you can do that in a new and fresh way. That's exciting. Uh, That's what kind of keeps me me engaged in doing it, you know, And, and when you release a cover there's so much more engagement now with social media and everything. You know immediately if people like it or not, and that could be a double-edged sword. But, <laughs> um, but it's really gratifying when people are really excited and, and do take that extra time to like be so engaged in the art, like terrain's arms and things like that. And people can really en- envision the book and it really draws them to the book and supports the story that the author has written and the world that the author has created. So yeah, it's a team sport.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so what about non-professionally? What's one thing you're excited about right now?
1: Getting out of the house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no joke, like I my wife and I we have to have a check like, "All right, have you left the house today? Have I left the house today? <laughs> what day is it? Okay, let's just walk outside. Let's get the mail. Let's walk back."
1: Yeah. I'm in I live in Brooklyn mm-hmm. where we're all in apartments on top of each other mostly. Um so and Omicron came through pretty pretty stiff and uh you know, I will admit I have not left the house a lot, you know, there's yep. a couple of friends that live nearby. Um, I live very close to, uh, Peter Brett and he and I like, okay. you know, we'll go on walks and talk shop sometimes just to like have some <laughs> of the publishing in person experience. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it'd it be nice to be able to, to go to, Like I said, I have a lot of friends in, in bartending and in restaurants in New York. And I would love, some of them have opened restaurants and bars that I've barely been to in two years because, you know, they've barely been, been able to open. And, you know, so it would be really nice to like go out and, you know, have a drink at a a bar. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And not feel like you're risking something to do it.
0: Yeah, no, Yeah. definitely. (laughs) So the worst you can be afraid of is getting a little too drunk or something, you know?
1: yeah yeah exactly or like we all
0: used to have as like our (laughs) concerts
1: right right wake up the morning in the morning feeling like shit not actually in danger of anything um i miss boxing class too i was a pretty big fan of boxing um my arms are not as good as terrain's but nonetheless (laughs) i persist um and that was just a good stress relief too uh and and very fun and you know i've been trying to do it at home but like Boxing the air is not the same as boxing a bag or a mitt or you know, I don't box people, I'm not that good. Um, nor do I like getting hit in the face, as I've discovered.
0: Understandably. Um,
1: but but classes are classes are really fun and I, I really miss that too. So traveling. Miss traveling. Oh uh,
0: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you have a you have a new child too, so you knew There's you not were not much
0: traveling in the future yeah, there. Yeah. you got
1: a little you've got a little <laughs> bit of a time cap. Maybe one if you can travel at a time.
0: There you go. Yeah, we we took an hour trip with him not too long ago. We we're like, wow, this was, we spent more time getting ready than we spent, like, on the actual trip. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: the diaper bags, The like, you're, like, planning for an epic fantasy quest, you know.
0: Exactly. Yes. And, you know, he did have a cute little poncho thing on, so it was sort of the cloaked figure going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. when. It- I have fun. Uh, the art department is, you know, obviously we're in charge of doing all the important stuff, like putting covers on books and things like that. But we also get to do the fun stuff. Like when anyone on the team has a baby, we get to come up with a, you know, appropriate onesie. So, um, our publicity, uh, director had a baby not too long ago. And we did a little onesie that said minister of the future for the Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, book. I love that. So, yeah, it was good. Those are, those are the fun days. <laughs>
0: Yes. Trying um, to pun well, yourself. I have taken a lot of your time already. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing some of yeah, your vast pleasure. book design knowledge and expertise with us. This I'm has sorry, been a little, such a like, treat. it's
1: like willy wobbly all over the place.
0: <laughs> that is the joy of a podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I don't have to edit it.
0: <laughs> yes. The mark of a good conversation is when I look at my notes and be like, you know what? I don't know if we covered three quarters of this. <laughs>
1: be interesting i know the the cloaked figure topic is always a hot topic with uh with with fans
0: yeah and in the interest of not stepping on brian mcclellan's toes uh page break podcast with brian mcclellan check it out it's fantastic he does a great job Uh, i'm sure honestly his episode with you has probably come out before this one so you can probably go ahead and listen out to it
1: yeah yeah probably um we definitely talked about different things so there's no there's there's not a lot of overlap (laughs) <laughs> okay. I didn't know about the Swoopy R. I didn't know the Swoopy R was um, controversial. I need to look into well, that.
0: Well, controversial between at least like three people. I don't know uh, if the broader sci-fi <laughs> fantasy community really thinks about it much. <laughs>
1: Man, are you pro-Swoopy R? Po- you know, anti-Swoopy R?
0: Uh, uh, there's yeah, There's I a mean... whole
1: group of people. Yeah. Uh, I there. was
0: Switzerland on the curve descender, so I didn't really have strong feelings either way. Not a sentence I thought I would be saying today. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Well, that's the hardest part. You don't have a focus group for covers, really. You're like kind of judging right. stuff from social media, but that's not like you can have all kinds of data on sales and stuff like that. But but no, but you can't really tell if somebody bought it or not because of the cover.
0: Sure. Well, just throwing it out there. I'm sure anyone at the Fantasy Inn is happy to be a focus group for covers if you want to send them to us (laughs) early. Just saying. (laughs)
1: Okay. Good to know. Good to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, on a serious note, thanks again so much, Lauren. You have been great. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: You can find Lauren Panapinto on Twitter as Planet Pinto or at our website, LaurenPanapinto.com. I wish we'd had more time to dive into Lauren's art business expertise, but you can check out her amazing articles on Muddy Colors and Drawn and Drafted. See the show notes. As always, you can find us over at thefantasyn.com, or click the invite in the show notes to join our Discord server. If you enjoyed this interview, consider leaving a review online. There's links in the show notes to where you can leave your thoughts and a minute of your time makes the world of difference. That's all for this week. Until next time.